You're listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy. Gray Oregon skies are finally starting to clear up, but this winter, the Willamette Valley was hit with an unusual series of winter storms. Eugene, home to the University of Oregon and about 160,000 residents, was the lucky recipient of some of the worst winter weather in December. A three-day storm brought a thick layer of treacherous ice across the city, which didn't thaw out for more than a week. Thousands in Eugene were without electricity for several days. The Eugene Water and Electric Board, better known as EWEB, is a public municipal electric and water utility serving customers in the Eugene area. EWEB went into full emergency response mode in the aftermath of the storm, working hard to restore power. Today, we're talking to Jen Connors, EWEB's communications specialist, about the utility's emergency response. Thanks for talking with us, Jen. Can you tell me a little about the Eugene Water and Electric Board? When was it founded, and how many customers do you serve? EWEB was founded in uh, March 1911, so this month we're actually celebrating 106 years of being a publicly owned utility. We're the largest publicly owned utility in Oregon, and we've been serving the community for over 100 years now. Uh, We have about 500 employees, and we serve 90,000 or so electric customers and about 50,000 water customers. What's the geographic boundary of EWEB service? It's mostly the Eugene area. We have some customers that are in the Springfield-Thurston area, which is a neighboring community, and we also have some folks that we serve electric. Uh, These are electric-only customers in the Springfield area and also up the Mackenzie River Valley. And what is your role at eWeb? I work in the communications, marketing, and research department, and my job title is communications specialist. I've worked with eWeb for 18 years, so been here for quite a while. Um, And as part of my role, I'm primarily responsible for internal communications, so I do the employee newsletter and oversee other internal uh, communication channels. I'm also the lead on eWeb's community investment program, which is our uh, employee volunteerism, donation, sponsorship, corporate philanthropy type work, and I'm our point person on social media, which for eWeb is primarily Facebook and Twitter. So let's go back to December 2016. When eWeb saw a severe winter storm was coming, how did you prepare? You know, it's it's funny when I think back on how everything unfolded. I remember that the afternoon before the storm, uh, you know, how it is when you're kind of getting weather reports and you're hearing, okay, we got a weather front coming in, and there's sort of a scurry of activity around the office. People are starting to leave early. They want to beat the, you know, the bad road conditions, and they start talking about, is school going to be out tomorrow, and so forth. Well, I remember leaving for the day and overhearing some coworkers saying, it's not going to be that bad, you know, we're, we're going to be fine. So we were doing, you know, kind of routine preparations, of course. We had our incident command um, structure on standby. And for social media, we were posting kind of routine storm prep messages like, this is how you report outages if your power goes out. Um, Since we're a water utility and we were expecting freezing weather, we were posting about, you know, protect your pipes from freezing. And standard emergency prep messages like, you know, check your flashlights for, you know, the batteries are working and stock up on some extra food and water. So routine preparations, but no one expected what was actually coming, which turned out to be a 30 to 40 year weather event that devastated our electric system. 
Yeah, it was nuts. You know, as Oregonians, we like to joke about snowpocalypse the moment flurries hit the air. But it really started to seem like an actual snowpocalypse. Or I guess icepocalypse in Eugene. And it seemed like it took longer to thaw out than it did in other areas of the valley. So after the storm hits, what was it like those first couple of days? It was truly all hands on deck. Uh, this was, uh, the storm rolled in in the morning on a Wednesday, December 14th. And by 8 o'clock that night, we had eight feeder lines down. Feeder lines, they all serve at least 1,500 customers. So you can just sort of imagine kind of waking up and, you know, like, oh, yeah, this, this storm really did come in. And then as the day goes on, more and more damage uh, is occurring. And by 8 o'clock at night, thousands of customers are out. And that was really just the beginning. Were most of the outages by down trees because of ice? Most of the outages were because of down trees and ice. We had a coating of a couple of inches of ice on every, pretty, it seemed like, every branch, every twig, every leaf, every pine needle. It was beautiful. It was like a winter wonderland, but it was devastating to the system. How many customers ended up losing power in EWEB service area? The storm started early on a Wednesday morning, and by 8 o'clock the next day, we had about 14,000 customers out. The storm, the, the storm lasted itself two or three days, but the damage and the outage restoration went on for almost nine days, about eight and a half days. It peaked at somewhere between 22,000 and 24,000 households were out of power, which is about a quarter of our customers. As things started to thaw, did you notice it getting worse as ice would begin to melt and then refreeze? That's exactly what happened. So this, this nature of this event is that it evolved over those first two to four days. Um, the, the trees would uh, start to thaw, but then the temperatures would drop and they would refreeze again in the night. And I, you know, I have a story, my, my sister, uh, her family, the first night of the storm, they all slept in the basement because this, the noise outside of homes with the trees just cracking and smashing into yards and on rooftops all night long. And that's how it was day after day for those first two or three days. And our crews, you know, of course, were working around the clock to restore power and they were working out in those conditions. So we were, our focus was restoring power as safely and as quickly as possible. And we're really, really thankful and fortunate that we didn't have any crew injuries, no staff injuries at all throughout the event. So we got some snow in Salem, and there was snow in Portland, but it wasn't anything like it was in Eugene with the ice. So, you know, we were cozy in our office when we saw eWeb social media accounts light up. We were super impressed with your presence during the storm. It seemed like it was monitored from early morning to late at night, and probably played a pretty vital communications role for your folks without power who maybe couldn't watch the news. Can you walk me through your social media strategy and how you staffed it through this weather event? So we had three people from my department on social media. Technically, the schedule was 12 hours a day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. The reality was that we were usually online continuing to update customers until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, we wanted to make sure that we could share the last update of the night before uh, crews went in to rest. Um, and most of the time, the crews were out until really late in the evening. So 
Uh, usually it was uh, 12 to 16 hour shifts for the three of us. Uh, we rotated between working a 12 hour shift one day and a six hour shift the next day and alternating between Facebook and Twitter. What was your strategy for sharing updates on social media? So one of the things that made this situation so unique and so challenging to communicate about was because it was evolving over the course of a few days. So our normal outage and, and restoration communications kind of went out the window. Um, the tree branches with the ice, they were coming down in, in a series, one after another after another. And so the damage continued to worsen really day by day and hour by hour. Outages were coming in, outage reports were coming in by the thousands. And so we really had to work on the fly. The restoration plan was very dynamic. So here's an example. One day, um, a crew had been working for almost half a day uh, to repair a feeder line in one neighborhood. They had it um, finally up and, and powered up again by about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And we jumped right on it. It was great, you know, to be able to share with customers, hey, power is restored in this Laurel Hill neighborhood. 325 customers are back on. By 2.50 p.m., less than an hour later, the tr another tree had come down on the same line that they had just spent half a day repairing, and all those customers were out again. So it was one of those situations where we couldn't, do any estimating. We couldn't do any projecting of a crew will be in your area at this time or we expect your power to be restored by this time. It was all real-time reporting of what was going on in the field. So our strategy was really twofold. One, focus on what we do know and two, be there for customers. So um, I mentioned it was all real-time information sharing, no projecting or no estimates. We told folks where crews were working at the time, and we, we have five uh, crews that are uh, eWeb four-person crews, but because we called in for mutual aid and we had such a great response from the region due to the, you know, the level of the emergency that we were facing, we had 29 crews working in the field. So at any given time when we were posting, here's where crews are, it was a long list of neighborhoods. And then we would share when, whenever a specific neighborhood or a block got turned back on. So that was kind of the real time. Here's where crews are. Here's where power is now back up. Oh, that must have been so frustrating for the crews to have fixed that line only to have it go down again. It really was. I mean, so, so much work, you know, and, and so many people and, and the crews, you know, they're working 18, 20 hours a day in terrible conditions, you know, it's just exhausting work and it's dangerous work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as the social media team, I can sit here and say, yeah, we were working 12 or 16 hour days, but we had the comfort of working from home or working in the office. We were warm and safe and dry, much easier than what the crews had. So another piece of that strategy of reporting on what we do know was we did a lot of posting on just general kind of education messages. So for example, we talked a lot about what we call our hierarchy of repair, which is how we prioritize when we're going to work on different uh, lines. For example, we would talk about how you know, we would repair feeder lines first because they serve the most number of customers and then we would you know, eventually work down to individual lines or tap lines. We would talk about things like what to do if your weather head is damaged at your individual line to your house. 
general safety messages, like stay away from down power lines. So mainly the goal there was to keep the communication channel open because there were large blocks of time, maybe hours, where we didn't know. You know, we couldn't say where crews were going next. We knew that they were working, but we didn't have any updates on uh, neighborhoods getting restored. So just to keep the communication channels open, we were sharing as much information as we could about our processes, safety, general tips, FAQs, things like that. Another big part of that strategy was photos. We had photos coming in from crews working in the field and assessors working in the field. And you know the old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. So true. Um, I just can think back on you know the, the customer comments, the feedback that we were getting, and even the, you know, the kindest, most patient person in the world, when your power has been out for four, five, six days, sometimes longer, you know, patience starts to wear thin, nerves start to get frayed, and you could definitely sense when people were sort of like at the breaking point, even through the social media. And I found it to be really interesting the, the impact that sharing some photos would have on just sort of the general tone and vibe of the communications. So when folks saw, for example, crews, photos of crews working, you know, in the dark, in the freezing rain, in the wind, up on a bucket truck or on a pole, or they saw a photo of a home with a tree, you know, smashed through the roof and the home just destroyed. It really diffused a lot of that tension and that anger that would sometimes build up. Um, so I, I thought that being able to share photos was a big part of our communication strategy. That's really smart, having constant contact. I mean, even if you don't have a restoration update, they know that you're still on it. They know you're thinking about your customers and what's best for them and what you can do to help them. I imagine that was comforting to them. I think so. I hope so. And that was really the second part of our strategy was just to be there for folks. So um, even when we didn't have specific, you know, good news to share, we were there and not just posting the, the kinds of information that I've talked about, but also replying to comments. So every time we posted something, we would receive literally hundreds of comments back. And most of the time, you can imagine what the, what the comments and questions were. When is my power going to get back on? Sure, That's really yeah. all that people want to know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, this is all good, but when are you going to get my power back on? So um, part of being there was we really tried to respond to every legitimate question and comment that we humanly could get to. And I, you know, I just got to give a shout out to the other folks on my social media team, Kristen Langham and Rich, Rachel Chilton, because... Sometimes it was superhuman. Replying to as many comments as superhumanly possible. Um, it was just an amazing team. So I would say a good 90% of the time, all we could say is, I don't know when your power will be back on, but I will post you know, as soon as I have in any information about your neighborhood. And we got it, had to kind of get creative about, you know, how, how do you say that a thousand different times? But the, the main point was to show, yeah, we're here. We're here for you. We're, we're working, and um, we're not going to stop communicating until everybody's power is back on. So I imagine when the storm hit and people started losing power, their instinct is to call. Did you find that as time went on, people started to report via social media instead? Does that make it harder for your team to track outages? Yes. 
our, our standard protocol is that we encourage folks not to report um, outages on social media. Uh, so if we see someone has posted on our page or asked a question about power in a certain neighborhood, our response is please use our outage reporting system. Our social media isn't monitored 24-7. So that's kind of the standard protocol. In this event, standard protocol went out the window. So yes, customers were using social media to report power is out in my neighborhood, or I've used the outage reporting line and I don't know if you've got my outage reported or I called in for an update and I didn't get correct information, so what's the status? What happened was the extent of the damage, the number of outages, our traditional outage reporting systems were overwhelmed very quickly. So if folks were calling in, they were having hold times of you know, 15, 20 minutes or longer. And the way that our outage system reporting, outage reporting system works is that when, um, when a, an outage is reported in the system and then a crew goes out and does some work on it, whether they've just assessed it, made safe, or actually restored it, an update is put in for that, that event, for that outage. The crews were overwhelmed, the coordinators were overwhelmed, that data entry wasn't happening as timely as it would in a normal outage event. So even when customers were able to get through, they weren't necessarily getting accurate information about the status of their outage. So many, literally thousands, <laughs> turned to social media for answers. Do you know how many people ended up reaching out to you by social media? We do. Um, we did a, a wrap-up report after the um, event on our all of our communication channels. For social media, the, the course of the event was December 14th to, through the 23rd. We, eWeb, made 178 Facebook posts during that time. We engaged in 385 private messages with customers on Facebook, and we tweeted 888 times. That's amazing. That's not the half of it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Well, every post generated hundreds of comments. So um, on the peak day of the storm, December 18th, that just that one day we received more than 2,000 comments on posts on Facebook. Over the nine-day event, there was over 10,000 comments just on Facebook. Our Facebook stats, we had over 1 million impressions and more than 94,000 engagements. And on Twitter, we had more than 1.7 million impressions. Our Facebook uh, page likes increased by 37%. So we gained almost 1,500 followers during the course of this event. And our Twitter uh, followers increased by 23%. So people definitely did turn to, so to, to social media. And what we found is that it wasn't just a one-way communication channel. It was a conversation. That sounds really intense. It was. It was um, a real uh, team strengthening event, I guess I would say. I actually, um, I think it was four or five days into the event, I was leaving town. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, because this was right before Christmas. Oh, so, of course it was. You yeah. know, a lot of folks had plans. Um, be with family and so forth. I had tickets to Hawaii ah. to go with my family <laughs> for Christmas. You and couldn't pick a better time. Right? I know, right? <laughs> well, that's what you would think. You know, normally when you're leaving for Christmas vacation, especially if you're going to Hawaii with your family, you're just ready to check out. You know, you're just like, bye, yep. <laughs> see ya when I get back. 
it was actually so hard to tear myself away from my computer. And it was because my team, you know, needed me. We needed each other. We, we relied on each other so much. The whole organization just came together. And so normally you just want to like, this is too stressful. I just want to like shut this off and go and be with my family or go on my vacation. But I just, you, it just became your life. You know, just like I said, you just wanted to be there until everybody was turned back on. So you said that you got over 10,000 comments on Facebook and you replied to almost all of those. Did you usually have one person on shift watching all social media or did you divide and conquer? We had one person on Facebook and one person on Twitter. And that was actually one of our learnings is Facebook was much harder to manage than Twitter because the nature of Facebook, as you know, you have a post, then you have a, a reply, and then you have replies to replies and replies to replies to replies. And so you have this really deep thread of comments. So just going through every post and scrubbing every comment was so challenging. Um, for the next event, knock on wood, we'll have two people on Facebook and one on Twitter. But what we found is it was really important to, to do that scrubbing, to really go through and look at every comment because sometimes there was something in there that you needed to respond to right away. For example, I've got a, down, a live downline across my driveway. What should I do? There were, there were safety issues that we needed to make sure that our customers had, were safe and that if we needed to respond immediately, we could. And so we couldn't, we didn't have the luxury of just saying, oh, it's just, you know, too, too many comments. I can't really get through them all. We had to at least look. You said the storm lasted from December 14th to the 23rd. How long were folks without power? Did some of them stay dark that entire time if they were, you know, a little further off the grid or off one of the main feeder lines? Most customers were out mm, around three to five days, but some were out for as long as eight or nine days. As you said, if, they, if it was just their individual line or just the tap line that was affected, that was the, you know, the last priority on the hierarchy of repair, so those individuals were out for the longest. We did have uh, 24 crews working from outside of eWeb to supplement R5. Uh, eWeb crews, and those crews worked 18 hours a day for those eight or nine days. We talked a lot about the storm itself and how the community reacted. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like here at eWeb? It was really an all-hands-on-deck situation. We realized very quickly that we were in the middle of a major emergency and that we needed to get ourselves organized very rapidly. This is one of those situations where you really learn a lot about who you are as an organization. You know, are you really a team or are you just a bunch of people who happen to work together? Because it's so easy when you're under this much pressure and it feels so chaotic to just fall apart. And I just couldn't be prouder of how we as an organization came together. All, almost all 500 of us. You know, and those those who weren't working immediate storm response were keeping the ship running. So really, everyone in the organization giving 110 percent, doing everything they could for each other to support each other as coworkers and to get our customers back on as safely and quickly as possible. So you made it through the storm. After the thaw, you hosted a community forum for your customers to give you feedback. Why did eWeb decide to do that? The community forum occurred probably two weeks after the event, Once every, you know, two weeks after everybody was back in power. 
And the reason that we did it, I, I recall our general manager saying, is we have the data about the storm. You know, we know how many customers were out, the number of line miles that went down, number of polls replaced, number of Facebook engagements. But we wanted to hear the stories. So what was it really like for people? What did they experience as an eWeb customer? And what can we learn from them about this event so that we could do better next time? What was your turnout? About 30 attended. It wasn't a, a huge turnout, um, which, you know, is good and bad. You know, for one, the 30 people who showed up, we had an opportunity to talk to them, to tell them a little bit more about how we operated in, in that event, you know, how we prioritized the work, what went wrong with our systems, just a, a more of an opportunity for that one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, and for those customers to share with us, hey, this is what it was like for me, and this is what I'd like to see you guys do better next time. Um, and I think also the fact that the turnout wasn't huge just sort of sends a message that, you know, people were ready to move on. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, airing of grievances, so to speak, that needed to be uh, done. Well, and I think it probably reflects on you doing a great job during the event itself. They had the information in real time, so they didn't necessarily have a lot of additional feedback. I hope so. You know, I, I definitely like to, to think so. We also did a survey online. Um, so folks, you know, if they couldn't or didn't want to come to the open house, had the opportunity through the online survey to give us some feedback. And about 580 customers participated in the survey. From a communication standpoint, what were your lessons learned and how did you apply them to the next round of storms in January? You know, I think, as I mentioned earlier, just really being there, um, keeping that communication channel open constantly, even when you don't have specific information about the you know, pr projections, when the power will be back on in your neighborhood. Keep that communication channel open. Be human. Um, that was a big, I, I think, learning for us. When we started off, you know, we were kind of using our typical eWeb voice that we use in all of our social media and other communications with customers. Four or five days into it, we were saying things like, I'm really sorry. I wish I had a better answer for you. Um, and just, you know, that that human-to-human -human communication, you can be real on social media, especially in, a, in the middle of a crisis. It, it puts a face on the organization. One of the big lessons that we learned is that it was really helpful for our social media team to have access to outage reports and the restoration system, the actual database of uh, you know, what outages were reported, how many customers, where crews were working, when power was back on. Because what happened was, again, the, you know, the crews and the coordinators, they're focused on planning the work, getting the crews out in the field, keeping everyone safe, and getting the power back on. Four or five days into the outage, we our answers of, I don't know about your neighborhood, started to get really old for people. Um, so we were kind of going rogue a lot of times and trying to reach uh, coordinators or people on the IS, ICS team directly and ask questions about this neighborhood or that neighborhood. Um, and so if we had had access to the database, the outage reporting and restoration database, we could have answered questions a lot more specifically and a lot more quickly throughout the event. So that was a big learning for us. The other learning is that the social media team really needs to be operations savvy because what happens, you know, when a crew gets 
uh, gets out in the field and they're working, their, their report comes in in operation speak. You know, we are at Hilliard substation or power just restored for River Loop feeder. Well, customers don't know what substation they're hooked up to or, you know, I live near River Loop. Does that mean that, that my power is going to be back on soon? So we needed to be able to translate that operation speak into everyday language that the customers could relate to. So post-event, one of our learnings is we're putting together an outage operations manual that will include things like maps of the service territory, substations with their names and what customers uh, they serve, you know, what neighborhoods they serve, a glossary of terms, things like that so that we can be more uh, operation savvy and, and translate that to our customers. Do you have advice for communities to be better prepared for a weather event like this? Absolutely. You know, emergency preparedness is so critical. This was a situation where people were out of power for eight or nine days, and that's bad enough, but imagine being out of water for eight, nine days or longer. So we all have heard of the Cascadia subduction zone, the potential for a major earthquake, where this people could be out of power and water and other emergency services for not just days, but weeks or months. So it's really critical. Individuals need to be ready to be self-sufficient for long periods of time. Okay, I'm feeling admonished because I am one of those guilty Oregonians who hasn't gotten an emergency kit together. I know I should probably do that. And finally, do you have advice for other utilities that might have similar emergencies or outages? I think if I were to offer some advice, it would be to really to be prepared for your customers to turn to social media by the thousands in a large scale event. You know, we often don't think of social media as a customer service channel. You know, we think of customer service as if, if customers need something, they're going to call or they're going to come in or maybe email. And we tend to think of social media more as a marketing uh, tool or a one-way communication tool. Um, but in an emergency, it's going to become more than that. It's going to become a customer service tool. And so you need to make sure that you've got staff ready, trained, that they've got the resources and tools to provide that high level of customer service over channels like Facebook and Twitter. And there you have it. Thanks again to Jen Connors at the Eugene Water and Electric Board for talking to us about Icepocalypse 2016. Check out photos of Eugene's ice storm on our blog, energyinfo.oregon.gov. And don't be like me, get your emergency kit ready. That wraps it up for our first episode of Grounded. Learn more about us at www.oregon.gov energy. All episodes of Grounded are available on soundcloud.com slash Oregon Energy. Subscribe to Grounded on your favorite podcatcher such as iTunes or Stitcher. And please rate us. Tell us what you'd like to learn about in Oregon's energy landscape. Until next time, this is Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy.